Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff, your weekly reminder that we can do cool stuff with the one chance we have of being alive. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. With me today is James. Hi, James. How are you? Hi, Margaret. I'm good. I'm good. Very uh, very controversial of you to erase the concept of, uh, what's it called when you come back to life after you die? Reincarnation. Fuck, I've oh, ruined right. that joke. Yeah, no. Well, um... <laughs> <laughs> the one chance we know of... <laughs> Our producer is Sophie. Hi, Sophie. Hi. Our audio engineer is Ian. Hi, Ian. Everyone wants to say hi, Ian. Hi, Ian. Hi, Ian. Our theme music was written for us by Unwoman. And this week, we are talking about resistance to Franco, the fascist dictator of Spain. In particular, we're following Francisco Sabate, also known as El Kiko. World War II has just ended, so he snuck himself back into fascist Spain and is starting to raise funds for a guerrilla struggle. And let's go. All that's stolen money, it goes into the hands of the CNT, which was underground and trying to do everything from support the kids of dead anarchists to destroy the fascist regime in Spain. No money is actually going to the robbers personally. For the most part, Leonor is actually supporting the family in France by working as a house cleaner, plus probably whatever El Kiko makes as a plumber when he's home. Which, like, I feel like it's fine to get compensated fairly for your labor as a bank robber. But I still appreciate that they they weren't doing this to get rich, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. They, like, meant it, that quote from before about being like, we are libertarian freedom fighters. Yeah. So, together with the CNT, the three guerrillas, uh, El Kiko, El Absinio, and El Rosette, they free two anarchists and a communist from fascist hands. And this is, like, it's funny because they freed a bunch of people already, including themselves several times. But this is, like where they kind of come out onto the yeah. world stage a little bit um, when they do this. But they show up and they they free the three prisoners and as they're running to the car, the communist is apparently like, never mind, I don't want a jailbreak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just love fucking rules. I'm, I'm such a committed yeah. tanky. Like, see yeah. a boot, I want to lick it. And so he goes back to jail voluntarily. Oh, wow. At least according to the anarchist history book I read. Okay. I can also see them having been like, oh, whoops, wait, you've got two anarchists yeah. and a tanky. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The guy gets out there and immediately like uh, logs onto his Twitter and starts posting about how he's going to send them to the gulag. And they're like, right, you go fucking back right now. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We thought we knew you better than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
But you'll be shocked to know that after the war, not all of the former syndicalists were cool and good. Some joined the national syndicalists, a.k.a. the fascist left. There was at least one double agent, an ex-anarchist who worked for the new cops, but was like, oh, no, totally. I'm totally working for you all, the anarchists, definitely, who was working for the cops. He would help the anarchists while they were being super boring and ineffective and then inform on them as soon as they did anything spicy and anywhere the anarchists were doing anything like the cops would know about it and show up. What a turd. Yeah, not a not a good guy. He spoiler alert, not a <laughs> not a way to live very long. <laughs> Fortunately, the guerrillas didn't espouse to be under anyone's control, not the labor movement or whatever. Um, they were working for the CNT and anarcho syndicalism in general, but not under its authority. So they were actually way harder to repress. The CNT was pretty mad about this, um, <laughs> especially the CNT in in France, like the people who had like run away. Run away is the wrong word. The people yeah. who were refugees because they would get murdered, they uh, some of them are very mad at Sabaté throughout the rest of his career. The guerrilla movement was, though, and this still matters, it was very organized. It wasn't just like, hey, let's go fuck up Franco's shit and get ourselves killed. And I know I'm going to like stick a lot to the like, and here's where they blew this thing up, and here's where they shot this guy, and the like cool actions or whatever. But it was like, Mostly, most of their work was organizing. From 1945 to 1946, Sabaté and the others set up base after base in the mountains, which is the refuge for all radicals everywhere, for comrades and guns. Um, He and his family moved, still in France. So he goes back up to France, back and forth all the time. Moves way closer to the border, and he starts moving guns and explosives into fascist Spain. At one point, with four others in some tiny town near the border, cops pull a gun on them, so one of them kills that cop. And they all have to go hide all the material and lie low because all the cops show up, you know, because for some reason they don't like that. Yeah. So they hid the guns in a ton of places, including a big old pile of manure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sabaté only got out by dressing as a peasant. He was like holding a scythe and walking around as a peasant while a woman from the village walked behind him carrying a submachine gun for him and a basket of food. (laughs) (laughs) Extremely, uh, that's the the Catalan National Anthem is El Segador. It's like the... The scythers. Oh uh, shit! Okay, cool. It's ex- extremely Catalan move. It's about the the revolt with the yeah. peasants and the scythes. Yeah, that rules. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the innkeeper went to go snitch voluntarily. He was like, "Aha! I know what's up." And the cops tortured the shit out of him. Even oh though he went well, to them uh, on well, yeah. But it's what it is. The state violence comes for us all. I went to the fascist cops, and they were mean to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today in new news. Yeah, they did find the guns in the pile of shit. Well, at least they had to go into a pile of shit. I know, I know. Yeah. And the fascist feds in Barcelona in particular were working hard to beat the guerrillas. They traced a communique to a guy's typewriter and then, like, tortured the shit out of him until he gave up a meeting spot, which led the folks to uh, the feds to El El Absinio. And our guy, the Abyssinian, was greeted at home with a hail of gunfire, and he died before he had a chance to draw his gun. That's sad. I know. And El Rosette gets arrested at his house during all of this. And they're like, this is going to come up. Like, El Rosette rules. Sab- uh, Sabate just wants to lure cops. At this point, he's like, oh, fuck. One of my friends yeah, is dead. The other one's arrested. He's like, you know what? The cops are surrounding his parents' house, right? Yeah. And he's like, I'm just going to lure them into the open and fight them. Just... Just fucking have it out. Yeah. And his remaining friends are like, don't fucking do that. What the fuck? Jesus Christ, what the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) And he listens to his friends and he doesn't go out in a useless way. Yeah. But he did need to get to his parents' house because his brother Jose had returned from prison at this point and he was at the family house and Sabate and, well, El Kiko wanted to go see him. So he just walks through the police lines as as if he's some regular guy. He's like, oh, I'm just a regular guy. What, what's going on over there? <laughs> yeah. Famous efficiency of Spanish police. Well, and then the, and the Spanish police thought that they would absolutely find him because El Rosette was being held in a cop car on orders of, you better point out Sabate when you see him or we'll fucking kill you. And so he was like, oh, sure, I will definitely do that. I will absolutely <laughs> inform on this man I fought a war with. Completely. Uh, That's my plan. 
when Sabate walked by, yeah. El Rosette was like, no, that's not him. That's just some guy. <laughs> Ah, amazing. Yeah, the entire force of the state has come to bear on you and it results in, in them being conned by someone being like, nah, that ain't it. Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> moving on. Yeah. And their orders were absolutely to kill on sight. Uh, mm-hmm. So El Rosette saves his life. Um, I believe, I can't remember. I think El Rosette spends the rest of his life in prison, spends decades in prison. Um, That's sad. Yeah. El Kiko makes contact with Jose and they reunite more properly in the mountains of France. And they're like, yeah, let's get this shit fucking done. Luigi has entered the chat. The, <laughs> the plumber brothers. I don't know if Luigi's yeah. a plumber. Yeah, I don't know. And the gorillas form. Yeah. Someone knows. I'm like, it's lost to history. It's like, no, yeah, I, no, no. I only have yeah, a week yeah. to research these things. So I can only <laughs> read like one and a half books and like five or six articles. And, you know, um, anyway. So the guerrillas form the MLR, the Spanish Liberation Resistance Movement, uh, basically declaring autonomy from and hopefully shielding their like propaganda only type friends, right? It's their way of being like, we are not the CNT. Please stop killing the CNT just because we do shit. Yeah. It, I mean, it sort of works. I mean, they're still going to, the feds are still going to just kill the CNT whenever they can, you know. But public enemy number one for the anarchists right now is this guy, Alicio Meles Diaz. Uh, who's the former anarchist turned cop who was destroying the resistance movement. Because this is a Fast and Furious plot, uh, the anarchists made Plan H, which I don't know what it stands for, which was that they were not going to just kill this guy, but they were going to bring him down and reveal all the other traitors too. They only half succeeded. They kidnap him, but he fought back, so they had to kill him after he killed one of them. Oh, wow. um, Sucks. Yeah. Um, so they did kill this guy, but... Mm-hmm. And then they came out with a communique to announce the MLR. Quote, In the future, we will respond to governmental terrorism with the people's terrorism. We shall answer the murderer's bullets of the uniformed gunmen with the pistols and machine guns of the MLR. People of the MLR will carry out sentence on all traitors as they have already done in the case of the notorious Elicio Meles of ha- unhappy memory. It's another great one for your email signature if you're <laughs> yeah, totally. a longer yeah, and, yeah, and all the while, uh, Sabaté is going back and forth to France and spending, making sure to spend time with the kids. I actually think he like genuinely really liked his family and like spending time with them and stuff. Yeah. You know, um, he does. He moves his family. Uh, he has more kids now. Why would the biographer mention to talk about his kids instead of going on several pages about someone who he doesn't even meet, who blows up his own leg with a grenade? Anyway, moves them closer to the border, and a quote young comrade moves in to help with the chores while he's gone. I don't know that this is a, a per- this person needs a place to stay or our house needs more sources of income or maybe it's a polyamory thing. I don't I don't yeah. know. His household includes more people now. He also gets really into farming for a little while. He him and his mule dig a bunch of ditches to move water around and soon he's growing melons and everyone's like, "Damn, we didn't know you could grow melons here. That rules. Your melons are great." <laughs> so oh, yeah, what a, what a polymath. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. His domestic peace doesn't last. At one point, while he's in Spain, his house is raided in connection to some expropriation. Um, and the French police find a stash of bombs and grenades and guns. Uh, he's tried in, at, in absentia and is found guilty. This um, doesn't stop him. You'll be shocked to know. Yeah, shocked. He's in Spain. He starts working with a libertarian prisoner support group, providing them money to provide for the families of imprisoned an- anarchists. And... Him and Jose are now getting money the old-fashioned way, robbing the rich. Another one of his crew was named uh, Tragapanes, which Google Translate tells me means swallow, but I think it means the bread eater. Yeah, bread. Yeah. Because he was always hungry and he was always eating. So he's Tragapanes. (laughs) He's just like a... <laughs> he just constantly shoving baguettes into his mouth. Yeah. Like he like gets a power up, you know, he eats one. He's like, doodly doo. <laughs> yeah. He, he grows larger. <laughs> I just like all their names. Uh yeah. we're gonna Spanish, Spanish nicknames are generally phenomenal. Yeah. Like on another another tier. Yeah. And he is always, for a while at least, he's always one step ahead of the cops. Time and time again, he counter-ambushes the cops line and wait for him, usually with a Tommy gun. He always carried a Tommy gun under his coat. Uh, very nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, uh, from the US, I guess, supplying the French Maquis, maybe he got it that way. Uh, that makes sense, because a lot of it's Sten guns, which is another type of submachine gun. 
Yeah, the British ones. But the Sten guns are easy to make too. Okay. I've seen some Sten guns in Myanmar. The Tommy gun was like kind of his signature. And since he was a bank robber named the kid, it just sort of makes sense that he gets a yeah, Tommy gun yeah. and everyone else's yeah, Sten yeah. guns, you know? <laughs> they were also obsessed with, I think we've talked about this before, with like gangster shit uh, in Chicago. Oh, and- that's right. They called part of Barcelona Chinatown, not particularly because it had a large number of Asian people, but because they yeah. were like, yeah, this has vibes of Chicago's Chinatown that we've seen in films. So, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was like a vibe. Maybe he was like, yeah, this is what I wanted when I've seen this in films. I'm the kid. <laughs> yeah. But he's not chomping a cigar because that man is sober and doesn't smoke. Mm-hmm. But he did get a Tommy gun. That was, that was the yeah, best he could okay. do. That's, you know what? That's a more iconic yeah. and more influential yeah. thing. Like, I like to think of him with a chocolate cigar as well. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Bubblegum cigarettes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's just (laughs) living clean and carefree. Yeah. His crew worked with another crew for a while called uh, Los Manos, the Hands, Mm -hmm. when they tried to kill Barcelona Minister of Police. The two groups actually met because they were both plotting to kill this guy. And I think that they like... (laughs) Maybe like saw each other on a stakeout. I'm not entirely sure yeah, how right. both of them trying to kill this guy got them in touch. But they they teamed up. They they didn't succeed at this. It was a good plan. They knew the guy's schedule. They knew his car. They knew he drove down the following row in the following car every day. And so they did some Grand Theft Auto shit where both teams stole some cars and then showed up in their stolen cars. El Kiko actually like did the thing that actually has come up in a couple other episodes too where he like... His car is broken down. I'm making air quotes here. You can't see them because yeah. it's an audio medium. Mm-hmm. And he's like looking at the engine of his car being like, oh, what's going on with my car? <laughs> but he has a Tommy gun under his coat or whatever. Yeah, classic. Yeah. And so the car comes by and they shoot it up. And they kill two fascists, just not the one they were looking for. <laughs> Some other people were driving it that day. Yeah. <laughs> Sad. I know. The cops already hated the anarchists, but now they hate them even more. They cracked down on all of Barcelona. There became an informal curfew because all evening entertainment was regularly broken up by cops demanding people's papers. Um, So no one would do anything after 8 p.m. There wasn't an 8 p.m. curfew. There was just a, we will fuck you up if you do anything. Yeah. Because fascism. Free dinner in in Barcelona. Oh, wow. That's an interesting point. Yeah, like 10 p.m. is your general, like, having dinner with friends kind of time. Yeah. And for a while, anyone who hailed a cab was as likely as not taken to the police station to have their identity verified. Damn. Which, to be fair, I mean, one, there's a lot of people in Barcelona, not all of them are anarchists. But it is how most of the the action groups were getting around was just cabs. They just all took cabs all the time. But the CNT had uh, been, the uh, the cab drivers union was an anarchist union previously. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. That, that yeah. ties into a lot of this. That's why you're such a good guest for this. Thanks for being our guest. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you for having me. I'm enjoying myself. This part, cops started murdering random people because they got so jumpy that anyone reaching for a wallet was sometimes shot. Unprecedented. Imagine cops shooting innocent people, mistaking wallets yeah. for guns. I'm glad that hasn't happened since we fixed it. Yeah. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Only yeah. it, it only happens petition. in fascist societies. Only fascist cops do yeah, this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Luckily, we don't have state overreach in America. No, no. Fascism is a specific form of government with no similar <laughs> yeah. characteristics to any other form of government. <laughs> Can so, only come from the fascia region of Italy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Mussolini. Yeah. It's, otherwise, it's just it's just sparkling authoritarianism. Yeah. So the anarchists were like, well, fuck you too. And some did a drive-by on some cops. They wounded two of the cops. The police commissioner got so afraid of being assassinated that he wouldn't go home and he started staying at the office, um, (laughs) which was surrounded by police at all times who were ordered to shoot anyone or any car that came within like 50 yards of the police station. (laughs) That's how you know you got him on the run. Yeah. And then the the cops stationed, there were cops stationed in the sewers beneath the building. Oh, yeah. The anarchists loved a good sewer as well. They were big on sewer operations. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, It's because they're Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. I think in 38, they tried, 39, they tried to blow up the police station from underneath in the sewer. Didn't account for it being wet or something, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A known method. No, it was earlier than that. It would be 35, 36. Okay. Yeah. So 
during this particular pushback, there's all of these things. And then the cops got even more mad. And I'm like, how can they get more mad? They're already a fascist dictatorship and hate the cops and yeah. murdering everyone. But there's just so many anarchists that there's still more to murder at any given point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the cops came the closest they'd been to the Sabate brothers. They raided a rail worker's house. I think just coincidentally, they just like fucking with people and they were like, well, yeah. fuck this guy. So they raided his house. The brothers and a friend were sleeping inside. A gunfight broke out what? and it left one cop dead, another cop injured, one anarchist named Jose, a different Jose on death's door. And then Jose Sabate was shot through the chest. The Jose on death's door, he was arrested after demanding Jose Sabate leave him and was executed by the fascist regime years later in 1950. He wrote a last letter to his wife. I'm not going to quote it. It just makes me sad. Um, But he told her to stay close with the family and that he loved her. Um, Because I just want to humanize some of these people as much as... Yeah, yeah. But Jose Sabate, with a fucking hole in his chest, held up some security guards at a factory at gunpoint. (laughs) And then they actually just helped him make a bandage for the wound. This is like... There's going to be a lot of times where people do this. Oh, yeah. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah. And so they like take off the shirt. You know, he's like, give me your shirt so I can make a bandage. And they're like, okay, but let me help you. And they make a bandage for him. And then he swam across a river and made it eight miles (laughs) on foot (laughs) to a safe house. Wow. Yeah. That is uh, some true Chad shit. Like, yeah. With a hole in his chest. Yeah. Um, He went to an anti-fascist doctor and was like, yo doc what's up and the doctor was like well you got about as lucky as a guy who got shot in the chest can be because it passed through without hitting any vital organs oh wow yeah not much space said it's not vital organs yeah no i i know um but the house he was planning on staying at he so he decided to go stay and recuperate at this one house this safe house but it wasn't safe it was being occupied it was being watched from an occupied house next door and they needed a way out so the anarchist pulled a prank on the cops (laughs) <laughs> they sent one of their okay so the head of the one of the police forces was an ex-anarchist and now a fascist and so they sent one of their doesn't seem like a militant anymore friends to go meet up <laughs> with his friend the head of the police the, the former anarchist <laughs> yeah. and the secretly down guy is just like man isn't it weird the other cops not your group but the group of cops that you're kind of in conflict with over like who gets to you know pissing rights in, in this part of town <laughs> they've occupied a house and so the cops are like oh fuck someone's on our turf (laughs) and they raid the other cops they yeah more or less they they at least go argue in a fairly Uh, armed confrontational way yeah and jose escapes into confusion amazing the two what yeah fantastic yeah (laughs) it's not just it's not that this guy's life would be a movie it's that this guy's life would be the fast and furious eight movies yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also being simultaneously like too crazy to be fictionalized yeah. and unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, totally. What else is unbelievable? Mm-hmm. Are these deals? Oh, magnificent. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I'm in awe. I, yeah, I'm just really just. Um, don't I mean, clap. One thing Save you do applause. is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are you going to say? I'm- no, I was going to say one thing Margaret Kiljoy loves is selling products. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Engaging in the cash nexus. Yeah, that's absolutely what I'm so excited about. Yeah. And yeah. here you go. Here's some ads. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So the two brothers are like, we should get out of Spain again. Let's go to Toulouse, which is not in Spain. It's in France. It's a very nice city. Mm -hmm. And at one point, Francisco pretended to be a recently released from an asylum guy. He always had these disguises. He's like, I'm a guy, right? (laughs) And this time he's like, ooh, I just got out of the madhouse. And then at one point he goes up to a peasant and he robs the peasant of his cart. And he's like, can I give you like 50 grand? for your cart (laughs) which is me converting very badly trying to use the internet to convert 1940s pesetas to modern dollars gives the guy like 50 grand for his cart and the guy's like yeah you can have my cart (laughs) yeah yeah it sounds like a good deal he just basically like changed this man's class position (laughs) (laughs) yeah that man's children do better in life because because he was robbed by Sabate (laughs) lucrative cart deal yeah but there's one problem. He went back to France, but Aokiko had been tried in absentia by the French. You know, because the French were like, well, it was fine when you had bombs in France to free France from fascists. But remember how you're not allowed to have bombs to f- in France to free Spain from fascists? Yeah, yeah. Remember how we learned so much from, uh, like, taking the L in a war and ar- armed population surviving and and uh, defending freedom? Yeah. Let's make sure that can't happen again. No, not absolutely not. He made a good try for it. Uh, he was at home, and Leonor dis- distracted the cops at the door while he escaped out the attic, but the cops sick dogs on him and got him. And he spent a year in French prison and then five years on probation where he was stuck in Dijon, which is a place in France where sparkling mustard comes from. Yeah, I have lost some skin in that town. Oh, shit. I, uh, As I a crashed my bike. Or, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I just, yeah. Not in like a, a, a bad gambling de- debt. Yeah, no, no. Like, literally, parts of my body were scraped off by the Rose of Dijon. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Much like it's scraped five years off of Sabaté's prime fighting life. Meanwhile, the struggle continued. More and more anarchists are getting gunned down, including those who had tried to stay legal within fascist Spain. Enter Manuel Sabaté, the youngest Sabaté brother. He hadn't been 10 years old when the Civil War started. When he was 16 and the Civil War was over, he traveled around as a train hopper for a a while. Like, literally, he got a knapsack and rode around on freight trains because the anarchist traditions uh, continue across the oceans, I guess. But he was an adult now, and and there was adult stuff that needed doing, like stopping fascism. So he made his way into France and started working at a cooperative near the border. And his guerrilla brothers were like, 
oh god don't join us learn a trade live your life we are doomed you know that right like we are fucking dead men walking try telling that to a 20 year old anarchist (laughs) his brothers told all the anarchist groups you can't let our baby brother join you (laughs) for jose the dead man walking thing came true the earliest on october 17th 1949 jose was successfully trapped on the streets of barcelona and basically went down in a hail of gunfire, killing one of the cops who murdered him. And with El Kiko in jail and Jose dead in Spain, Manuel was like, well, I'm joining a fucking action group, and now my brothers can't stop me. And the first thing they did is they tried to pull a Grand Theft Auto, but the car didn't stop, so they shot it up, and they injured a young serving girl, who is not exactly the class enemy for anyone who's keeping track Soon the area was swarming with cops. Manuel Sabate was arrested. And basically when the cops figured out his last name, they killed him. Oh, fuck. Um, On February 24th, 1950. The winter of 1949 to 1950, the fascists took out most of the action groups. This is the end of the, the time when they are common. Every named character we've had until now, besides uh, El Kiko and Leonor, are dead. The hands, the bread eater dead i think rosette is just in prison the thing is though they had done a lot of good and popular dissent was picking up even as the action groups were getting gunned down they kind of like kept the flame alive in a lot of ways yeah protests started up it started with students of course as it kind of always does and it moved to workers in 1951 there's a general strike in barcelona it spread from there more than 150,000 workers went on strike Soldiers had to be shipped in from Madrid to put it down. The repression, though, made its way to France also. Southern France was full of Spanish anarchists at this point. Um, They were the largest chunk of the exiles from Spain by a fair amount. So when a couple of anarchists tried to rob an armored car in France and some guards were killed, the press denounced the anarchists and the court started rounding people up. But there was one problem. Everyone really liked the anarchists. (laughs) um they were like generally nice and upstanding people who like yeah probably weren't hiding what they were about you know yeah they were just going about not hurting people who weren't hurting them as anarchists should do yeah so when one spanish anarchist guerrilla was arrested in toulouse in france spain was like extradite him please he is a crime guy and france was like we're actually not even going to consider your request (laughs) yeah nice Um, and he was set free oh yeah the French police were not as nice to Sabaté they arrested him again in 1951 and tortured a confession out of him having something to do with that robbery the um, which I frankly do not know if he had anything to do with the torture was so bad that he either tried to kill himself which is what is like claimed or he he either got thrown out the window or he threw himself out the window and there was kind of a thing uh, going around of defenestrating anarchists in police stations. There's a play yeah. called The Accidental Death of an Anarchist. Yeah, I have uh, acted in that play when oh, I was shit. in high school. Yeah. They let us choose what play to do. We were like, that one. <laughs> they were like, okay. It's real funny. I watched the BBC production of it one time. Um, yeah. It's good. It's, it's a good play. Yeah, Dario Fo, right? Yeah, it sounds right. Um, yeah. Damn, that's a throwback that I had not been expecting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he survives yeah. getting thrown out the window or throwing himself out the window. Um, part of his crime that he was accused of was associating with evildoers. But they had gotten a confession <laughs> out of him, right? Isn't that rule? Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. Good that the state gets to decide these things. Yeah, totally. States are wonderful, aren't they? Yeah. Eventually, in 1952, the confession and the case were thrown out because it was so obviously induced by torture. Um, he was still on probation from that shit before, though, and not allowed to leave the area. Then, in 1955, as soon as he was free, he got himself over to Spain. And every time he went back to Spain, he went back to his hometown and made sure to, like, say hi to everyone and be nice to the old people and shit, even though he's, like, <laughs> literally public enemy number one in Spain. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a social call. His main thing was trying to form the CNT again. And uh, the anarcho-syndicalist union that controlled most of yeah. Catalonia. Even though, actually, Sabate was, like, increasingly i keep hinting at that the cnt kind of doesn't like him anymore but he likes the cnt um they disagreed with his reckless solve all problems with guns and bombs attitude or they were cowards it depends on who you ask 
I actually don't have an opinion one way or the other. I don't know. Yeah, you know? it's it's hard to find it in my heart to blame people who are living under a dictatorship that frequently murdered their friends for yeah, you know, yeah, their choices that they made. Totally. And so the actual attack groups he was forming weren't CNT; they were anarcho syndicalist groups. Um, but he was also trying to recreate the CNT. Also, he wanted to keep them separate, but he wanted to do both. And this time he was mostly there to do propaganda. He hijacked a taxi to distribute a four-page pamphlet called El Combate <laughs> on the 30th of yeah. April. Go ahead. I think that was the name of an old anarchist newspaper. Okay, cool. On the 30th of April, 1955, hoping to spark some May Day shit, you know, for May 1st, oh, the yeah, workers' yeah, holiday. Yeah. And the way he did this, he brought with him from France, he made his own leaflet mortar. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> ah, in, in an age before podcasts, our lives could have been so different. <laughs> <laughs> he made a fucking DIY mortar, but that shoots paper into the air, and then the leaflets fall down onto the street. Ah, and so when, when Franco visited Barcelona, he fired it out of the sunroof of a taxi. Oh, even better. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he also started soapboxing the kinds of speeches you can't give in fascist Spain. The way he did it, yeah. here's podcasting hero sabote mm -hmm. he pre-recorded them and played them off of tapes in crowded places full of workers <laughs> yeah the first podcaster yeah, <laughs> yeah amazing <laughs> that's great though he just just like would they just start up from nowhere yeah and then he and his friends they they were also robbing banks right um mm -hmm. at one point he and his friend like all podcasters yeah yeah that's how do you think we pay for these i actually just yeah, literally yeah. just yeah. No, this isn't the Reagan coin guy ain't giving a shit, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just totally. want to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> We're trying to go clean. Yeah. That's why we wear Nixon masks when we rub the banks. Yeah, and when we podcast. So, at one point, he and his friends rob a bank and get away in a taxi like they always do. And they tip the driver like $8,000 or something. And then Amazing. also immediately say, every time they do this, they say, go straight to the police and tell them everything so that they don't hold you as an accessory. Yeah, well, consider it, guys. I know. Um, which is yeah. how you become a Robin Hood and not a yeah. random crime guy. Yeah. Another time, they rob, they, they, they rob this bank expertly. Like, a cop pulls a gun, and they're like, no, no, not, not today. And they just disarm him, because they're, like, not trying to, like... They actually, like, mostly yeah. try not to kill people, including, like, tools of the fascist state, unless they specifically want to assassinate specific people. Yeah. Um, so they disarm the cop. And then they place a fake bomb near the entrance. And they're like, you'd better run and take cover because of this bomb. <laughs> and everyone runs and take cover. And then it, like the bomb never goes off. And finally, when the bomb police or whatever show up, <laughs> it's just full of sand and a note that says, <laughs> I'm not as bloodthirsty as the press makes me out to be, basically. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Now you all just have PTSD. <laughs> Yeah, you're forever traumatized, but you're not dead. Yeah. So he's famous again. He's public enemy number one. And the fascists are being fascists. And they round up everyone who's suspected of knowing him. So this time, he wants to get back to France. He's just pulled off this crazy robbery. They've gotten a million pesetas, which actually seemed to roughly equal about a dollar in 2023. But with a wide range of possible failure when I asked a website, how much is this worth? And today? <laughs> whatever. They got a million fucking dollars. And it's, uh, it's our guy, named Guy. And then it's another bank robber guy that he doesn't trust. And then the other third person who's coming with them across the border is a woman uh, who he does trust. And the book uses the name Maria for her because the book was written in 1974 and she was still alive and so was Franco. So she was like, yes. yeah, Maria. My name's totally yeah. Maria. <laughs> yeah, that is my only name. <laughs> yeah. And this time they take a route that they haven't used in more than a decade. Um, they, I think it's like way west from where they usually cross. And they get lost. Oh, and so they recruit an old charcoal burner to help them find the way. I had to look it <laughs> That's up. That's a job you don't see anymore. <laughs> yeah, I had to look it up. <laughs> it means you make charcoal. Yeah, 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 I think I have actually seen people doing that in some of my work travels. That's cool. The charcoal burner was a trade unionist who had been arrested and tortured by the fascists, and he wanted like nothing to do with any of it. But when he was called upon, he helped them out. 
um, and like sent his kid to direct them back onto the path. They left an envelope with a fuck ton of money in his house before they left. Amazing. Another woman fed them. Her husband was in prison three years already because he'd gone to a socialist meeting. And everywhere they stopped, they paid people like 10 times what the food they ate was worth. Like one of them was like, here's for your daughter's raincoat. And they gave them like you know, <laughs> 10 times as much money as yeah. a raincoat costs. But then the bank robber guy, he stole the money and left while they're still oh, in the mountains. Oh, what absolute piece of shit. Fortunately, you, uh, you kind of can't get away with this. So no good. This this is what happens when you create like you leave a positive vibe when you go through places, right? You create solidarity, and it makes it a lot harder for people to yeah fuck with you. Yeah, totally. Just like oh, I hate, uh, some ad thing. Mm-hmm. For example, all of the products and services that come after this could be yours for free. All you got to do is this one trick: create a society based on solidarity and mutual aid. Yeah, or crime. It's, that's another... Yeah. <laughs> not a society based on crime, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, can use, yeah. Or, yeah. you know, do things the standard way, like I'm clearly doing, and I'm a hypocrite for telling you otherwise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is start a podcast yeah. and then get Ronald Reagan to sponsor your advert. Yeah, the ghost of Ronald Reagan, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah or maybe he's dead. a lich. Mm. Let's hope dead. Yeah. His phylactery is these coins. If you buy the coins, you have a little piece of his soul. Okay. Is that like a Horcrux? Yeah, yeah. Um, L- less turfy option. Yeah, uh, and mm-hmm. older. It's it's what is what that guy that that woman stole from. Mm-hmm. She plagiarized. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Shocked. Shocked to hear that from such a morally upstanding person. I know. Uh, J.K. Rowling. I know. Who is totally not lit- litigious. Anyway, here's some ads. <laughs> yeah. Bean Dad, the dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time, and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. 
I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So the bank robber guy had just stolen the money and run off. And Sabate and Maria tracked him down. Uh, they were like, he's just going to go to the nearest town and buy him fucking alcohol. So they went to the nearest <laughs> town. And they found him walking out of the alcohol store. <laughs> Common straight edge W. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And he was like, oh, I totally wasn't trying to ditch you. I had to run because some cops came by. <laughs> and they then spend like three days in a slow motion standoff. Where they know that this bank, they're moving through the mountains, pretending to be friends. The other guy has his hand on his gun under his coat the entire time. And so they have to like watch him. And Sabate is just like not sleeping, right? Right. And neither is the other guy. And they're just like, and (laughs) jeez. And so they're just like slowly walking through the mountains, waiting for a chance to like someone to get the drop on someone else. Yeah. And finally, at one point, he, like, takes a drink with both hands on the cup, you know? Yeah, yeah. And Maria and uh, and Sabate, basically, like, Sabate pulls the gun and Maria disarms him and is, like, and Maria's, like, found where all of his knives are by, like, carefully watching him the whole time. So, disarms him not just of the gun, but all of the knives and stuff. And they, yeah. they take the money back. And since this is Sabate, he doesn't yeah. kill him. He gives him a speech about anarchy and the need to be selfless in the cause of revolution and then says, we will take you to France because he's wanted in Spain and they'll kill him. Yeah. yeah. So they take him to France, give him some money and never see him again. Yeah. Well, just a morally upstanding guy. Yeah. But there's a problem. It's the similar problem that he keeps running into when he goes to France. The world is moving towards accepting a fascist Spain with a dictator who won power via a coup. France is starting to cooperate with Franco more and more. An arrested comrade in Spain is tortured, and he leads French, which leads French cops to a Sabaté stash of guns in France. And Sabaté is now wanted in France too. But he won't go on the run in France. That's like not his vibe. So he turns himself in, and his defense in court is basically like, well, yeah, those are, those are my guns. Those are for shooting fascists in Spain. <laughs> And the court is like, those are indeed mitigating circumstances. We're going to reduce your sentence. However, this is not your first time, so we're also going to up it. So he gets eight months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which I I could totally see them being like, well, it's good, but it's illegal. So I don't know. Uh, (laughs) You know. Split the difference. Yeah. And they tell him that he's trapped in Dijon for another fucking five years. Um, scraping James's skin off of the pavement from the future. future Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird punishment. I know. It's very. Come up with him. Yeah. yeah. French will be like that. Yeah. And that's why someone pushed you while you're riding your bike. You were (laughs) the first James Stout who rode through the streets. So, when Sabate got out of prison, he started working as an HVAC repairman and, (laughs) and building up contacts. And even more resistance fighters had died while he was in prison. One of his old friends, an Italian named Face, went down in a hail of gunfire as he tried to cross the border into Spain. And the resistance communities in exile, the ones in France, were just like not interested mm-hmm. in his brand of resistance anymore. But he he can't quit. Like he he's like constitutionally incapable of quitting and like morally incapable yeah. of quitting. He has friends rotting in prison. Uh, one of his friends, I, th- I think it was uh, Rosette, wrote him and was like, Living like a lord over there in France while I rot in prison, <laughs> fuck. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because he's like living this nightmare of everyone dying around. <laughs> like, whatever. Yeah, constantly on the run. Yeah. And he has friends and, pr- and brothers, two of them at least, rotting in the ground. So he crosses over into Spain a final time in December 1959. But the French authorities had tipped off the fascists. And so he and his companions, there's four other anarchists with him, they're met with gunfire. They take refuge in a farmhouse, which was soon laid siege by the fascists. And the fighting lasted all day and into the night. And during the night, the anarchists tried to escape. Um, they like 
three of them like pushed a cow to be like, go cow, go. And then like tried to run away <laughs> while the people were like yeah. shooting the poor cow. Yeah, uh, they didn't succeed. They get gunned down. Yeah. One of them hides and is later found mm-hmm. and executed. Uh, Sabate, he, he has three bullet holes in him. I think his like leg, his butt, and then I can't remember where else, maybe his arm or something. And he decides to crawl away. And while he's crawling away in the dark, he runs across yeah. someone else who's crawling. And the other crawler is like, don't shoot, I'm the lieutenant. <laughs> and it's the lieutenant is trying to run away too. So Sabate shoots and kills the guy. Yeah. <laughs> and then keeps crawling. And every time he keeps running across police lines, he's like, don't shoot, I'm the lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, and he escapes. Uh, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Okay. He's the only one who gets out. He dropped pepper on his tracks to confuse the scent dogs. I think he's learned his lesson from oh, getting mauled last smart. time by dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Like his brother before him, he swam across a river despite bullet holes. <sighs> he reached a train station, pointed a gun at the conductor. The gun talk- the conductor gave him a sandwich and let him ride. <laughs> <laughs> sandwich. <laughs> and then slowed down before the next station so that he could jump off like oh, ahead of time amazing. without getting caught. Yeah. And then he hitched a ride into town. Cops found him feverish. He would have died of gangrene at this point, no matter what. Yeah. And he shot one before he was gunned down at 8.30 a.m. on the 5th of January, 1960. Most likely, but unconfirmable, his last words were the last words of so many others. Viva la anarchy. Long live anarchy. And the reason we think this is that the press kept reporting that his last words were uh, viva la muerte, long live death, which is a fascist slogan. Yeah, it's Milena's thing for the Spanish Legion. Um, yeah, there's no way he would have said that. That was part of the press talking trash on him. Yeah. So yeah. if he said Viva la anything before he died, which he may or may not have, it was Viva la Anarchy. And I want to quote, I want to end with a quote from Alfredo mm-hmm. Bonanno, who's an anarchist insurrectionist author, from the introduction to the book Sabate that most of, but not all of the history that I'm drawing from was pulled. And the quote is, it is necessary to understand that we cannot wait for others, not even for other comrades, to give us the sign to act, the final indication. This must come from us. Each of us, taken individually, must find his or her own comrades and constitute small affinity groups, which are the essential element for giving life to the organization of attack that we need. Actions will come easily as a natural consequence of the decision to act together against the common enemy. Grand words, declarations to go down in history, the great organizations of the glorious past and vast programs for the future are all useless if the will of the individual comrade is lacking. And in this perspective, Sabate was never alone. His struggle continues today. End quote. Pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a cool guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's really sad that he died in 1960 when, like, anti-Francoism became more and more powerful yeah. in, in those following years, right? Like, more student protests, more... There's, there's, there's a broader-based movement against Francoism and against Soviet communism, yeah. like, throughout Europe in that time. Yeah, authoritarianism in general. Yeah, people thought authoritarianism bad, maybe. Yeah, which it is. It's bad. Mm-hmm. If you live in a yeah. fascist country, like a literal, hi, I'm Franco, I call myself fascist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, there's a, I've incorporated the fascist into all symbology because I think it's good, actually. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's Sabate. That's El Kiko. I, uh, what a, yeah. I enjoyed that. Yeah. I like, I got a lot out of reading it. I like, you know, because I, I barely knew about him, right? Because he he wasn't presented as like one of the great thinkers. There was no like specific yeah. movement that, you know, he wasn't Derudi. He wasn't, you know, whatever. He wasn't all these people. Yeah, yeah. But he was this person who did so much for so long. I mean, partly because he had seen so much, right? You know? Right, like, yeah. I just, I'm imagining him in those those last days, like, he probably knew that wasn't going to work. He probably decided yeah. 10 years earlier he's just going to do this until they shoot him. 
Right, yeah. The, all of these people knew that they wouldn't die at home with their families, right? Yeah. And they still kept doing it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's nice sometimes to, like, there are, of course, the great anarchist thinkers. We talk about them a lot. But there are also great anarchist doers. And, like, yeah. maybe we don't talk about them enough. Yeah. Especially when they were, like, incredibly selfless and, and like, lived by the morality that, that they preached. And, yeah. Like, Spain seems to have been a bit of a hotspot for those people. Yeah. Yeah, I really love his consistent morality. He's like, this is what I believe the world should be based on, and this is what I'm going to do. I can't let these bad things happen, but I will not be bloodthirsty. I will not use this. I mean, he was like walking around with millions of dollars constantly, right? And he wasn't like yeah. doing anything with that money besides like giving it to the families of dead, you know, dead comrades. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's all very admirable. Yeah. But it, it creates a movement that like, if you just normalize that shit, right? Like, if you just normalize not acting as if you're the only person, uh, you know, the, mm. the, the sort of like low key solipsism that capitalism encourages. Yeah. Uh, like, and instead, like, acting as if you're a member of society where we should all care for one another. Yeah. Then, like, it's very easy to do. Like, yeah. I see people do it, even like, uh, I'm, I'm writing a scripted series about this uh, border shit, but like, uh, it really struck me the other day that two people who were being detained by border patrol in the fucking in between the two border walls that we have that are covered in dust and, and like mm-hmm. you know sleeping under a tarp were like, hey man, there's a camp where things are much worse and they're not allowing aid workers to go there. Could you help us by giving us as many bottles of water as you can so we can carry them up there for other people? Like that's cool. It, it's very yeah, it's cool when people you know I'm always inspired little things like that where I see people like not acting as if they're the only human beings on the planet. Yeah. And like, it, it's nice to be reminded that that's an option. No, and, and, and even though this is like a story about action, right? Mm-hmm. It's a story about mutual aid, and it's a story about trying to create a society on mutual, based on mutual aid, you know? Um, yeah. And like, and like... Go ahead. Go ahead. No. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think... <laughs> I'm glad we go from reading off the script. Um, there's a a thing like where Daruti looks at so he that uh, like another world is possible and it grows in our hearts every minute, right? Yeah. Where like I think what he's trying to say is that like it's possible because we're doing it. Like rather than being like anarchism is a thing that we must struggle towards and and uh, like a, a long off distant idyll, like you know, mm-hmm. which is the way kind of. Um, authoritarian communism justified doing authoritarian shit for so long being like anarchism is a thing we do every day in all our interactions and, and yeah it, it, it's it's a, a it's a world that we build ourselves with every every time we interact with another person yeah now that i like that maybe that's good good note to end on what do you want to plug um maybe especially the kind of like border stuff like what if what if people mm-hmm. who say live near the u.s border want to or, or, or oh, don't yeah. like how can people be mm-hmm. useful about this like crisis that's happening right now where yeah non-dispersed so, camping is being promoted at the southern border yeah i think things you can do are if you have money then you can give to groups like al otro lado uh to border kindness who group out of san diego uh armadillos the eagles of the desert uh las aguilas uh, you can give to Nomas Muertes in Arizona. Those are people who are out there every weekend of dropping water in the in the desert mm-hmm. so that people don't die trying to come here, uh, which is a good thing. And they're doing it because they want to help. If you have time, uh, you can, of course, go out and drop water at places in the desert and join one of those groups. That if you're a citizen, that's perfectly legal. And don't let anyone tell you it's not. And you can... Uh, this is one of the things where you probably could make a difference by, like calling whichever person wearing a suit is supposed to represent you. Like, yeah. I understand that they don't, and for the most part, they don't care. But there, there was one uh, person who came from a California state census office who was able to secure mutual aid groups access to where these people were camping, which makes a difference between people, I'm not exaggerating, between people living and dying, yeah. right? And so they're calling those people and being like, why the fuck are you not? That That's one California state senator, right, in, in the biggest state in the country. Yeah. Uh, and, and no one else did shit. Uh, he was at Steve Padilla, if people want to know who that was. It was someone from his office. Um, but this is probably a thing that you can call people and make a difference on. 
and you can show up like every single time this happens right this happened in 2018 with the uh, quote unquote caravan that came at the time of the midterms the only people who show up to help are people just like you like don't think that what you have is too small or too insignificant to make a difference because like showing up with a bottle of water and a smile can change someone's day um, when the state is treating them like they're not a human being yeah. acknowledging their common humanity is really important so if you have it within your means like physically and financially to show up show up otherwise you know giving your money and giving your time uh, and then like these people who were in the desert last week will hopefully be in your communities one day like refugees aren't just people who stop existing after they leave the border they need your help and when they come to your community, show them that they're welcome. Yeah. Uh, and then if people don't want to make them welcome, then tell those people that their bigotry is not welcome. Uh, Hell yeah. And yeah, you know, in any way that you see fit. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I want to plug. It's doing all that shit. Hell yeah. Well, that makes my plug feel selfish, which is that I'm kickstarting a tabletop role-playing game. No, it's good. It's good. It's good. We should we should remember that like joy is important yeah. as we continue in our struggles against a yeah. system which rips joy from us. And collaborative storytelling with your friends and like um I don't know. I I yeah, I get a lot out of it. And so I'm currently mm-hmm. kickstarting a game, well currently as of this, you know, June 2023. If it's after that, you can probably just buy the game. It's called Penumbra City. It's being published by Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness, which is an anarchist publishing collective that I'm part of. And I'm real proud of it. I've been working on this game for like 10 years in different forms. And you can do that. Sophie, you got anything you want to plug? Hot Dog Book. Hot Dog Book is out. Yeah. Raw Dog by Jamie Loftus. Yeah. I know, but I pre-ordered it to my house that I live at, but I don't spend a lot of Mm -hmm. my time at the house that I live at. So I don't have it yet. I'm going to go to an independent bookstore. And you buy can it. borrow my copy. Okay, that's good. Is your copy signed, Sophie? No, but I... I, I <laughs> oh, I see how Jamie Loftus treats you. But when I see her in a week, she'll sign it. But no, no, I I, okay. I have a copy, but I've I've seen, I've read before it was in print because friendship. Yeah, because you're, you're special. We are discussing yeah. friend of the pod, Jamie Loftus's book, Raw Dog, which is a history of hot dogs that is going to be really good. Yeah, way more entertaining. I was, I was like, no part of me that doubts that this would be an incredibly entertaining and informative yeah, book. Jamie's, yeah. Can very I good can I do stories. my horrible capitalism line that? Oh I yeah, mm-hmm. I'm supposed uh, to. Do? Please, Sophie. Yeah. Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast, but you think you would enjoy it more if there were not ads, subscribe to Cooler Zone Media, our 100% ad-free subscription channel, available exclusively on Apple Podcasts, and I'm hoping by the time this podcast is out, the channel is live. Depends on bureaucracy that I have no control over. God bless. (laughs) See y'all next week. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts on Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. 
Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love at First Listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.